0: Christmas Uh, to those here on site and to those online my name is Matt I'm uh, one of the pastors here at uh, SunWest on staff and I'm not sure what you have on your Christmas list uh, this Christmas Uh, but I think probably for all of us something that's on our wish list is precedented times amen (laughs) we're longing for some precedented times and uh, and I you know I think I, I probably share with you that that longing and and I think often at Christmas particularly we long for precedented times. What do we mean by, by that? We we long for. Things uh, to go back to normal, things to be like they were. And I don't know for you, but for me growing up, I had certain Christmas Eve uh, traditions. You know, every Christmas Eve after a church service like this one, we would go to my grandma's house and we would open most of our presents actually on Christmas Eve, not on Christmas morning. And that event was preceded by months of going through the Sears catalog. Anybody remember those? Okay, so uh, believe it or not, you never used to go online uh, to find out what you wanted for Christmas or or to ask for things. You actually got a catalog in the mail, uh, and so we would we would eagerly await the wish list catalog, that Sears catalog, and we would flip through it, and, and we would circle things, uh, and so we, we would give that uh, as our, our Christmas wish list, and then we would have Christmas Eve go to my grandparents' house, Christmas morning at, at my house, um, and we get gift, gifts gifts uh, at our house. And then on uh, Boxing Day, we would always go skiing. That was kind of our, our uh, family tradition uh, growing up. And then the Christmas break was just a whole ton of ping pong. Uh, me and my dad, my brothers, we just played tons and tons of ping pong. And I can even remember the Christmas break where I first beat my dad um, just a couple of years ago. No, it was... Uh <laughs> When I was a teenager, I remember that day. It was a big day because my dad was quite a good player. And, and so that was kind of our Christmas uh, tradition, some of those things. And, and now traditions have changed over time. As I have a family of, of our own, we do the Christmas Eve services, and I drag my kids to all three services. Um, and so if you hear screaming kids, those are probably mine. Uh, and after Christmas Eve, we still go to the grandparents' house. We spend a few days there, and we all sit in our pajamas. And everybody actually gets pajamas for Christmas, including the adults. Uh, in fact, I have a picture of my wife in her pajamas no, I'm just kidding. She would not let me do that. But we all wear pajamas for Christmas break. Uh, we wake up on Christmas morning. We have Wife Saver. I don't know. You guys know what Wife Saver is? Um, and in ways, if you don't, uh, it's great. Uh, actually, jury's out for some people, but I think it's great. And then we do a lot of sledding and stuff over the Christmas break. But we have certain things that we do. And I'm sure you got your own list of, of things that you do. And there's certain tastes, smells, and songs that remind us of Christmas, certain events. And uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs is I'll Be Home for Christmas. Uh, and it was written during World War II. I don't know if you knew that, but in the 1940s this was written. It was written from the perspective of soldiers that were serving overseas. And the, the lyrics are from the perspective of that soldier overseas, waiting to come back home uh, to North America for Christmas, and they're saying, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. And 80 years later, the song continues to uh, be one of the most popular Christmas songs because I think it rings true, something rings true in the human heart about this song. Uh, Whether we're out of the context of a world war and it's a new context, there's, there's this human longing to be home. The song ends with, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. And I think for some of us, uh, that experience of home is maybe not something that we've experienced, um, and we dream about it, uh, but it's a longing in our hearts all the same. And I think Christmas Eve functions a little bit like a time machine. It just takes takes that song, it takes that smell, maybe it's that smell of pine or that taste of turkey. Or eggnog, or the sound of James Taylor Christmas in the background uh, playing. Or maybe for some of you, Mariah Carey or Michael Buble. Uh, maybe it's mom and dad sitting around sipping coffee while kids are opening presents. But there's these moments uh, where you revisit that smell, that song, that, that idea, and all of a sudden you're transported into a time machine back to when you were a kid. For others, there's reminders at Christmas of a way that life could have been or should have been, but never was those who have looked all their lives through other people's windows at such scenes of domestic bliss, but never as an insider to those experiences. Some of you can't wait to go home for Christmas, and others of you can't wait to get away from home after Christmas. But no matter what we experience, if we think about Christmas uh, with these nostalgic memories or if we dread Christmas, I think both of those experiences both of those memories are tapping into something uh, deep within us. There's always a home that we long for. No matter how great our home life was, there's always a gap between the home we long for and the one that we have. And home is a hard word to define. Home, Home can create joy more than anything else, and it can also create pain more than anything else. And it's not just about the place that you live, because you live in a house, but that house isn't necessarily a home. Home is a place where you're supposed to belong, Home is a place where you're supposed to be loved. Home is a place where you're supposed to be safe. It's more than just a physical space. It's a a reality. It's a lived reality. But we live in a world that isn't safe. We live in a world where everyone feels excluded in some kind of way. We live in a world where we long to be loved unconditionally, but it doesn't always seem that love prevails. It turns out that this longing for home, this homesickness that we all feel, is not just something that's unique to some of us, it's actually unique to all of us. It's part of the human experience. It's clear that there's something about this longing for home that no matter what your story is, this world cannot satisfy. Deep inside, every person is a longing, a deep desire to be in a place to find home, to be fully known, to be fully loved, to be fully secured, to be fully safe, to be accepted, to flourish in every possible way. Yet it seems no real place, no real family ever satisfies these longings completely. And if you have it for a moment, it was only a moment and then we're past it. So why do we long for home? Where does this come from? Well, I believe that the answer of why we long for home can actually be found in the Bible. The author, uh, one of the authors in the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the heart's Of every human and that longing for a home I think is a longing for something that we were actually created for in the beginning of the book in Genesis it describes this picture of the reason we all feel like exiles in the beginning humanity Adam and Eve were created to live in one relationship with God and everything was right they were loved perfectly there was no decay there was no disease there was no viruses there was no politics there was no power games life in the beginning was there fully in the presence of God And we were there, as humanity, were there with him to adore him, to enjoy him, to reflect his infinite beauty, and to be at peace with one another. This was our original home. This was the reality that we were made for. This is how the biblical story begins. And from that point on, in the biblical story, something changes. The Bible teaches us that God is this Father, and we decided that we wanted our own autonomy, that we actually wanted to move out of the house. We didn't want to be home anymore. And some of you are longing for the day when your kids do that. Wish they would move out. Um, But this was our spiritual reality. We wanted independence. We wanted to live without God's interference. So we turned away. We left our home. And the result was exile. And from that point on in the biblical story, we can see this story of exile and longing for home repeated over and over and over again. Though we long for bodies that run and are not weary, we have... Uh, become subject to death, aging, and disease. Though we long for a love that lasts, our relationships are subject to the inevitable entropy of time and they crumble in our hands. Even if people who are willing and love us and want to stay true to us, uh, even that is temporary. And sorry to, to be dark, but even our best relationships are temporary. Uh, we all have a finite time on this earth. And though we long to make a difference in this world through our work, we experience endless frustration. We never fully realize the hopes and dreams that we have, and we work hard to recreate the home that we have lost, but it only exists in the presence of God, and that's the reality we see in the scriptures, in the Bible. And so the theme of exile, you can read it, and if you've never read the Bible, I'll just summarize it for you. It's a whole bunch of people walking away from God and trying to find their way back to him. It starts with Adam and Eve, they walk away from God, and then... And then they lived life trying to be reconnected from him. Their kids, uh, Cain, was forced as a restless wanderer in the earth, exiled, wandering, because he murdered his brother. And then later, Jacob cheated his father and brother and fled into exiles for, for years. And then there was this guy named Joseph who was sold by his brothers. And... Uh, and then the, the whole nation went into famine. And then the whole nation of Israel moved to Egypt because they were looking for food. And then they were exiled in Egypt for 400 years. And then God finally delivered them through Moses. And then they went into the wilderness and wandered for another 40 years. Then they finally get to the promised land. And then that didn't work out. And then they were exiled and they were captured and they were wandering. The whole Bible is full of people being exiled and wandering and looking for home. Over and over and over again. And it's not just something that happened historically, it's something that we experience today. We are all homesick. We're homesick for God. And homesick, uh, we're homesick not actually for a place, but we're homesick for a person, and we don't realize this. We're homesick for a, a, a being. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them... It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, To be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of a real situation. Let me read that last line again. He says, Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of a real situation see, C.S. Lewis is describing this homesickness that we all feel. When we have nostalgia, when we want uh, that experience, it's more than just a Christmas experience that we're looking for. It's more than just uh, some memory from the past. It's actually something far deeper than that. And the biblical story not only tells us that we're homesick, but we actually see that God is homesick for us. Not only do we see the theme of exile and longing from humanity, but we see God's initiative and pursuit of humanity and his constant call back to himself. And this is really the context of the Christmas story. It's the collision that happens to the Christmas story. The Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. says, O Little Town of Bethlehem, how we see thee lie, yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are found in thee tonight. So in Luke chapter 2, you have the Christmas story. And in the story, you find out that Mary uh, and Joseph, and you just saw it acted out, uh, they, they actually take a journey. So Mary finds out that uh, she's pregnant, and one of the biblical texts says that she's obviously pregnant. Uh, And I don't know how the biblical writer get away with it. I tried to say that to somebody years ago that they looked obviously pregnant, and it didn't go over well. But, uh, anyways, the writer says uh, Mary was obviously pregnant, and they make the journey from uh, from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea, and this is a hundred and fifty-seven kilometer journey on foot. Mary, pregnant, makes this journey, and so they were pledged to be married. Joseph was pledged to be married and Mary was pledged to be Josephed. Um, Dave really liked that one. Thank, thanks, Dave Chow, for the love. Um, we've, we've created this nice story that works really well in a 10-minute you know, kind of Christmas play, but I don't think we actually get the reality of what's happening in the play. We, we, it's not quite 100% accurate the way that we often tell it. So we often think that Mary uh, barely made it, uh, to the to the manger scene, you know. It's when we had our, our second son son Luke. I can. We barely made it to the hospital. We barely made it. Uh, Joel, we were there for felt like forever. We actually went to the mall in between and came back. But Joel, Joel or Luke, our second son, uh, we went. Uh, we thought we had the amount of time that we had for Joel, um, but we barely made it through the parking lot. Uh, we made it there before the doctor got there. They had to get this resident doctor, uh, and he comes in on the scene. And uh, he has never delivered a baby before. I don't know if you've had this experience where you get a doctor that's never delivered a baby before. Uh, All the nurses who aren't allowed to technically deliver the baby are explaining to the doctor how to receive the baby. Um, And he just looked like nervous, like he was white. He didn't know what he was doing. Uh, And so uh, he very nervously uh, helped us uh, in that moment, but our doctor didn't make it. So sometimes we project the scene onto the The Bethlehem story that Joseph and Mary Mary barely made it there. And because they barely made it there, there was no place for them. So they had to find this place in a barn, and then they finally gave birth. Uh, But the text actually says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. While they were there. They already had gone to Bethlehem. The census was happening in the whole Roman Empire. So uh, Caesar said that you had to go, everybody had to go to their ancestral towns, and they were going to take a census, and so they made the journey with time, they get to Bethlehem, and they are there for a period of time before this moment happens, this first Christmas moment. And then next in the play, often, uh, we didn't have it in our play, but often there's this this innkeeper, so they, they come to the inn but there's no the text says there's no place for them in the inn. And so we need to remember that this was 2000 years ago. So it's not like today they didn't show up there was no holiday inn. There was no hotel. Okay, there wasn't a hotel, there was no holiday inn. They didn't get to the holiday inn and they said there was uh, they didn't say at the holiday inn there's no vacancy. The word inn in the text is actually the Greek word. this was originally written in the Greek la- language is kataluma which actually means guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room. And why did they go back to Bethlehem? Well, they went back there because it was their ancestral town, which means they had relatives there. And so here's the actual scene. Mary and Joseph travel back to Bethlehem during the census, and they come to their family member's house. And there was no room for them in the guest room. See, at that time, they had houses, um, there was a living space, and on top of the living space, they had uh, a, a guest room, a cataluma. And on the main level, uh, they, they had this area that was actually dirt, uh, and, and whatever animal possessions that people had in that time, they would actually bring into the house in the evening so that uh, they wouldn't be stolen and the animals would be safe. And so they had like a barn kind of in their house, believe it or not. And, and we use the word manger, and you know, manger sounds really, really nice, but what it actually was was an animal feeding trough. That's, it doesn't sound quite as, as nice, uh, but that's the reality of what it was. Uh, on top of this, the story comes in a time in a culture that uh, was very family-oriented, very community-oriented, so much so that when somebody, uh, when two people got married, uh, they didn't actually move out of the house. They actually moved into your house, if you were the mom and dad. So you marry your kids off, and you think, hey, whew, we're going to live bliss, life without kids. That's not how it happened in that culture. They moved in with you, and the family just kind of grew. And if your house wasn't big enough for your family, they actually built onto the house to add more rooms for the family. They added rooms. They built rooms. In fact, uh, you know, when a, when a man would would get engaged to a woman. He would then go back to his parents' house and build a room onto the house. And then when they got married, they would have a place to come and live. So back to the story. Mary and Joseph, they're back in Bethlehem. They go to their family's house. They go to their family's house and Jesus was laid in a manger because there was no guest room available. There was not only no guest room, but a living room. None of the other rooms in the house were available for them either. So wait a second. Are you telling me that there was not one cousin, not one aunt, not one uncle who was willing to give up their room for this Joseph and his fiancee Mary who was pregnant and about to give birth? That is what I'm telling you. That their own family did not actually give them a room in the house. Now, why, does it, why did this happen? Well, the text doesn't explicitly say, but we know that Joseph was tempted to break off an engagement with Mary because this pregnancy was happening outside of the context of marriage, and there was a lot of family pressure, religious pressure. We know how things looked from the outside. And so per- perhaps Mary and Joseph weren't fully Welcomed back to their very own home and family. Mary didn't run. Mary and Joseph didn't run into a no vacancy sign at a hotel. They ran into a no vacancy sign in their family's house, with their own family. So the very first Christmas was not one of nostalgia. It was not one of a welcome return home. It was an awkward Christmas moment. It was a culturally volatile moment as Caesar was taking the census and sending everybody back to their ancestral towns. There was about to be this puppet king Herod who would step in and slaughter all babies who were two and under because they heard the rumor that this Jesus, this Messiah king, was going to be born and he was threatened. And so Jesus was born into this politically volatile climate in which his own family possibly did not even Fully receive him. This was the first Christmas. The first Christmas wasn't one where the physical home had a sense of love and belonging and safety and acceptance. But in John chapter 1, John is retelling the Christmas scene and he does it so uh, way more poetically. You know, Luke and Matthew kind of tell it factually, but John says, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And then he says in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and made His home among us. See, the truth of Christmas is that not that Mary and Joseph went home for Christmas, but God came home for Christmas. That God made His home among us for Christmas. And the dirt of the family stable in the broken relationships of that family unit for whatever reason, in the disappointment, in the rejection, in the cultural and political upheaval, in the hopes and fears of all the years, God made his home among us. And he still does. And reminded in the Christmas story that home is not a place, that home is ultimately wherever God is because we're at home when we're with God. In John chapter 1, as John is describing this, like I said, poetically, uh, he also says this, that God made his home among us, and that the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so what we see in the Christmas story is not just a one-time event, but what John is saying in John chapter 1 is that Jesus came to make his home in the world and that his own people, plural, rejected him. The no vacancy sign of the Christmas story is, is when God showed up and not only did they not accept them fully in that moment, historically, The ones who God has loved have not accepted him as well. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. This Christmas story is just a micro story of our human story. God comes to make his home among us, but is often met with a no vacancy sign. You fast forward some 30 years later, jesus grows up uh, and he's teaching and he's doing ministry and um and jesus telling those who loved him and followed him as a as a rabbi as a teacher and as as the messiah as the king even though people didn't recognize him as such some did and they were following him jesus telling those who loved him and followed him that he has to leave that his time on earth is coming to an end that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to be resurrected three days later. He's telling them they don't completely understand, but he's trying to convince them, my time here is almost done. And then he says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, if you remember when I was talking about the culture, the community family culture of this time, what is being described in John chapter 14 is actually a marriage situation. It's a marriage metaphor. There was an engagement that would happen. The bridegroom would go and prepare a place for the bride that was a part of the father's house. They would go build a room that they would actually come and move in as a family. And the, the, the groom would go and prepare and make sure that everything was ready for the bride when it became time to get married. I remember when I was getting ready to be married and prepared to be married. It was quite a long time ago. Um, I was about to say the years, but I don't want to get in trouble. So, uh, but it was a while ago. Uh, so when I was younger, uh, preparing to get married, I was living in Saskatchewan at the time. I traveled uh, to Calgary. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was here, living here. And I was going to get engaged to her. Uh, and I had planned this all out. And so I got here, and I proposed to her, and I said, do you want to marry me? And she said yes, and it was this beautiful moment. And I thought, well, what better way to celebrate? Let's go to the Calgary Tower to celebrate this moment together. And so we go to the Calgary Tower, and we sit down. Um, it's a beautiful view. You know, we're seeing the whole city, and the, the waitress is coming, and you know, what would you like? And, and we're, we're sparing no expense here. right? This is an important moment and appetizers, of course, wine, of course, you know, main course, yes, dessert, yes, and so we're just enjoying the moment, and the end of the meal comes, and they uh, bring the machine to, 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 for me to pay with my debit card as a college student, um, and I type in my code, and I am met with the message, insufficient funds, which is the most devastating message you can have. I realized I had spent all my remaining funds on my wife's engagement ring. And that's all the funds I had. And so the most humiliating line I've ever said in my life, I turn to her and I say, Honey, do you have enough money to pay for this meal? <laughs> and she thinks, What am I getting into? You didn't prepare for this moment at all. Are you, can I even be married to you? Can you even provide for us? Um, well, 17 years later, we are still, uh, still going. It's still going okay. Um, but some grooms prepare better for their brides than other grooms. Jesus, in John chapter 14, is saying that he's prepared, that he has made space, that he's built a room, that he has a life, that he has a home. You can actually fully trust him and follow him and give your life to him because this is secure. This is a for sure thing. Even though we might meet God with a no vacancy sign, Jesus is saying, God meets us with a vacancy sign and says, there is enough room for everybody to come home. I'm prepared for you. This is um, the second time this year I am uh, preaching on John chapter 14. Uh, the first time I preached on John chapter 14 was at uh, my wife's uh, grandpa's funeral. Uh, so my grandpa through marriage. And, and it was a beautiful thing to witness and to be a part of that uh, because I got to be part of a moment where someone who had given their lives to making room and space for Jesus met that moment in life with confidence, with peace, with joy because they knew their home was not tied to anything that was temporary, was not tied to the past, was not tied to nostalgia, was not tied to some hope and dream. It was actually tied to a person. See, home isn't a place. And this is why 2,000 years later, the invitation of Christmas remains to come home. Jesus brought home to a homeless couple. Jesus brought home to a homeless world. And so we are in 2021 where we're longing for precedented times, where we're waiting for things to go back to normal. But for what? Because that's just it. There's never been a normal. We, we sometimes think that there's normal, but there isn't. Things are always changing. Things are always beginning or ending. Our longing is not actually for a life pre-COVID. Our life is not actually a longing for a home that we once had or life like it was or life like it could be if I just get married to that person or we have these kids or we get this family life or we get that house. Our longing is actually not ultimately about that even though we deceive ourselves into thinking that it is. You can live your life chasing nostalgia. You can live your life dreaming of what normal could be or you can recognize that every ache and longing... Finds its ultimate resolution in returning to God because that's who you were created to be in relationship with, our true home. God has made his home among us so that we could be at home with him. The Christmas story is one where God made his home among us so that we could be at home with him. And that is why 2,000 years later we still reflect on this historic moment because it wasn't a moment that just happened, it's a moment that always is happening that God is Emmanuel, that God is with us, that God is coming to us, that he's pursuing us. And we might have put up a no vacancy sign, but God has put up a vacancy sign. He's saying, I've prepared a place for you, a home for you. You can keep running around looking for home, or you can come home. And so I would encourage you, this Christmas, you might feel like you're chasing normal, you're chasing some, you know, some precedent at times, something to go back to the way it was, could I encourage you to reflect on that and to ask the question, is that really what you're chasing? Or are you actually part of the human story that's been true for every person all of time that God has put eternity in our hearts and that we are created for an ache and a longing to be loved, to belong, to be secure, to be safe, to have something eternal. Yes, that's what it means to be human. So I'm going to pray here as we uh, move into this next song. And I would just encourage you, if you have never, uh, as the song, as Joy to the World says, uh, prepared a room for God in your hearts, that you would consider doing that this Christmas, that this would be a Christmas that your life would change forever, that you recognize that God has chased you, that God is calling you to come home. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're Emmanuel, that you are God with us, that you came and made a home among us so that we could be at home with you. Lord, we know each person in here represents a different story, but I know that each of those stories, Lord, there is an ache, there is a longing, there's glimmers of the hope that we have, but it feels fleeting. Lord, we know that you created us as eternal beings. We know that you created us to be with you forever. And so God, may we not be like those relatives on the first Christmas morning that didn't make room for you. May we joyfully give up the space in our lives for you to rule, for you to reign, so that we could be at home with you now and forever. In the name of Jesus, I pray.
1: to babe on bended knee the savior of humanity unto us a child is born to save, born to raise us from the grave. Christ the everlasting Lord, he shall reign for
0: John it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot over- one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world he came into the very world he created but the world did not recognize him he came to his own people and even they rejected him but to all who believed him and accepted him he gave the right to become children of god so as we close um, i would invite you to stand Uh, And we are going to sing Silent Night together. And uh, we are lighting our candles uh, from the center candle, which represents Christ, as Colton mentioned earlier. Um, And as we light our candles, this is a, a representation that Jesus actually is the true light of the world. He is the response to all of our aches, our longings, our desires to come home. He came to us so that we could be at home with Him. Let us sing together. Bye.